This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, a business of intercessory prayer for businesses. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, guys, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and we have a very special guest today, Chris Schaefer. Uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John, thank you so very much. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure talking with you, and... uh, uh, you know, a little background here on Chris, a uh, 25-year veteran of the U.S. Army, and you spent most of your career downrange. Uh, you were uh, Green Beret. You were part of the 3rd Special Forces Operational Detachment Alpha, called an ODA team, did nine combat tours uh, around the world. And, you know, Chris, first of all, just thank you for your service and what you've done to uh, my goodness, to keep us safe back here. But the dedication uh, that you've done, you know, just exhibited in your life is just, man, inspiring to me personally. So, you know, just a heartfelt thank you, my friend. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I was able to serve this great nation. And, uh, you know, thanks to my wife and my kids for sticking it out too. So uh, that's kind of uncommon. But yeah, I'm, I'm still married to my wife and uh, have three kids and she's a saint because to deal with all that after you know that many deployments she's she's got more than i got she put up with me so you know isn't that true i gotta tell you i think it's harder on our our wives and kids sometimes than it is for us when we're when we're over there we just you know what they have to deal with and love that you said that it just you know it just says more about, you know, the character that you have. And, you know, and, uh, you know, Chris and I uh, just had a great conversation before we, you know, started recording. Um, you know, some of the things you've done, Chris, is not only train your your own, these operational teams, these guys that are going downrange, but you've been able to advise and train, you know, teams from all over the world. A lot of these things we hear in the news, you know, it's it's your kind, it's you and, uh teams like you that's behind that and but there's so many principles uh from the military this mindset how you develop culture how you you know pull together teams that you've now brought out into business and i know you've earned a a dual master's degree in business and project management and you're the chief executive um for military affairs for solid red concepts and you've just written a book and i know that uh, you know as you were going through that process, uh, um, one of your professors, a, a doctor, uh, a PhD who had a lot of experience in business, was looking at what you were doing and how you're doing, and says, "Wow, this is so needed in the private sector." And you know, uh, you're also just a strong believer. And some of the things you also shared is, you know, sometimes you know, uh, being a Christian as you went through that whole military career. Uh, at times was really challenging. Um, and, but I would love for you to just start out, Chris, and just, you know, share, you know, kind of your story and a bit, you know, a bit of your journey so people can hear firsthand kind of where you're coming from. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, Nebraska, and I graduated with 200 kids. That was the biggest class, uh, my, my town ever had. And, uh, so there wasn't a lot of, opportunities. Either I could do what my dad was doing, which was to work at the railroad or become a farmer. Both very needed 
type occupations. It just wasn't for me. I just wasn't um, that guy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, you know, Top Gun had come out, you know, in the 80s and, you know, everybody wanted to be a fire pilot. And, you know, I thought I could, I had the right stuff to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, to learn how to fly. And, you know, my dad didn't have, you know, the money to send me to university like Emory Riddle to get my pilot's license and do all that stuff. I guess I could have done it, you know, at a local place, but I really wanted that education. And, you know. The armed services obviously offered that opportunity. Um, my family's Christian. Um, I'm a Lutheran. Uh, and my wife's a Catholic, so I like to say that I converted her <laughs> 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 to, to being Catholic light. Um, and, uh, you know, um, so being in the military, you know, you kind of go through those waves through your, your faith journey. Um, I don't think I really reconnected after I, after I left my hometown to, to join the military until I married my high school sweetheart, Mary. Um, until we had our first child, uh, we really didn't get back into, you know, going back to church and, and connecting with our faith. And um, I was, you know, still fresh in the military. I was in E5 and and that journey through the, the, those times, um, like we were saying earlier, you know, just being in combat, you know, you, you, you question your faith. Uh, you see some things that, uh, that are not pretty. Uh, they're ugly. They're evil. Basically what it boils down to. Yeah, I remember um, when we were, we had a conversation earlier in the podcast with General Jerry Boykin, who I know you know. And he shared with me once over a, a cigar sitting around a fire pit that, uh, you know, our, these young men that are coming back, they really need people to sow into their life because when you're downrange, you confront evil in a way that n nobody can relate to unless you've actually been there. Right. Yeah. Dr. Carter and I had a lot of conversations like that. You know, when we started working together, he'd ask me, you know, so what's it like downrange? And, and I just looked at him and I said, Brent, I said, it's like going to the moon. You know, I, I could, uh, if an astronaut came to us and, you know, we asked him what it's like to be on the moon, he could tell us about, you know, what gravitational pull and, you know, what it's like to get launched in a rocket and all this other stuff, you know, what it's actually like to, you know, be in that atmosphere and, you know, be around. But we can never, we can, we'll never get there. We, we might have a sympathetic, sympathetic understanding of what it's like, but we can't experience it for ourselves in full detail and it's hard to be empathetic at that point because i can't really get there it's, it's like your wife when they have kids right they're gonna tell you how the birth is and everything you can even be there but you're not really gonna fully understand it ever because we're just guys we can't right <laughs> so right. We, we can't yeah. experience it firsthand the way they are in the moment right and i think that's that's exactly what it is i mean combat vets we all can relate to each other in an instant because we all know we've been there. We've ate the same dirt. We've seen the same, you know, oppression, if you will, uh, that, you know, most people can never understand unless you've been there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you're right. It's, it's, it's getting back, uh, to, to understanding and being empathetic about those things. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get somebody to understand, you know, 
what combat is like unless you've been there. So, you know, and it's, you know, it's never, it's never a good situation, I guess. You know, um, there was a good article that was written uh, not too long ago about the morality of war. And I don't know if we want to go down that, that road, but it's a hard topic. I mean, um, but anyways, the article was written by a professor out of West Point, And he said, you know, here's, here's what's war is like. Uh, the Good Samaritan, okay, when he's seen the individual on the side of the road, beaten, stripped, naked, left for dead, um, the act had already been done. But now if you back that up, let's say the Good Samaritan showed up when the act was being done to this individual. What was actually happening when, he, when the individual was getting beaten and robbed and stripped of his clothes and the Good Samaritan showed up on the scene. Now what does he do? That's the situation combat is. It's not good. You have to intervene. You can't just sit there and not let it, you know, do nothing. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people do that uh, in today's world. Um, they don't want to get involved or whatever it may be. But as a, as a soldier, you don't have that luxury. And you're there for that purpose, to be able to stop that from happening. And, yes, you have to intervene. And sometimes you have to intervene with absolutely deadly force to, to make it stop. Um, but that's the, you know, those are, those are the situations we face and there's no good solution to it. Now, I know you've shared Chris, you know, you know, in that, in those situations, cause I'm just, I'd love your thoughts on this. Right. And I talked to a lot of veterans as they've, they've, you know, when they're, when they're back here and you're right, it's really hard for somebody who's like myself, who's not been, I was a you know a fighter pilot and flew over the combat areas right, and I could go back to the aircraft carrier every night. Um, I wasn't down you know living in it every day like you guys were, right. And when your faith is challenged by you know what you saw and what you lived through, you know what are what are some of those moments that you know maybe the questions you had or how you got through it or how you know what you did to really kind of connect to God's grace in the middle of all this chaos? Well, I'm, I'm going to be very truthful with you, and it, it's not easy. Um, you know, so when you see things like that and you think you can act to help out and you can't, or there's just no earthly way for you to make it right. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm one personally to say I didn't try hard enough or I didn't make this happen or I could have done X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I think we have to give that up to be able to say, you know, it's not my place to do that. I'm not God. It's, it's not me that can solve these problems regardless of who I am or what I'm capable of or what I did or didn't do, you know, I cannot fully take responsibility for things that are out of my control. And I think realizing that the Lord has that, you know, it is in his hands, not yours. You know, it wasn't my fault. You know, I'm not the one that, uh, you know, created something that was, or, you know, try to help overcome something. Um, ultimately, you know, that that's God's place to, to have that happen. And, 
you know, forgiveness is, you know, whether you think it's your fault or not, you know, whatever happened, however it happened. I think I've experienced that with other vets too, when they talk to me, you know, it's just like, look, you know, you're ultimately forgiven, trust me. And, you know, regardless of your actions or your, your inactions, you know, you are not, not loved or not forgiven, you know? And, and I think that's hard because we all, we all judge each other on that basis, mm-hmm. but I don't think we understand the, the level of, you know, what God, God can take. We, we try to put him in a box, you know, and that's, you know, uh, how big is your God? You know what I'm saying? How big, you know, he's the creator of the universe, man. You know, so what do you, I mean, what are you thinking, dude? <laughs> you know, if he's done that, I mean, are you really, you're so, you, you know, you've made him, you, you try to put him in a box and, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have those feelings that we don't have, you know, sorrow and sadness and deep depression and, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, I guess the human way of dealing with things and maybe, you know, that's why we need other people that are strong to be able to help us through those, those times, you know, to be able to walk with us, you know, and I I think I've been blessed in that manner because my wife, she doesn't understand combat, just like I was saying, she can never understand. I mean, she can read our book, but she's never going to understand, you know, what's what it smells like what the dirt feels like on your face after you've been sweating and it's in your eyes and you're just nasty and dirty and tired and scared and, you know, angry all at the same time, you know, and hungry, you know, (laughs) you know, and, and, you know, but she's there to be able to, you know, just simply listen and, you know, say sometimes can you, you know, you know, can you tell me about it sometime? And just be very patient, uh, you know, with you. But vets, it's different. You know, we can, like you said, you can go smoke a cigar and sit around a fire and BS, man. And everybody will be laughing at the most morbid things. But how else do you deal with it, you know, in your head, you know? And it's, I think it's just those guys walking with you and, and not judging you uh, for your actions or your inactions. And, you know, and then obviously, you know, the you know, our, my Christian background, uh, to be able to just, you know, I, I think not judge anybody, but just listen to them and say, you know, Hey man, God still loves you. You know, <laughs> I know that's hard to think, but God still loves you. So. Wow. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, I know this is a really personal subject and the, the reason that, uh, I wanted to talk about this today too, cause you've done a lot of work in this area, right? There's so many, you know, people listening to this right now that are, you know, they're business owners, they're leaders in all kinds of different spheres from, you know, traditional business to, to media, to government, to ministries. And, you know, a lot of us are, you know, we're hiring vets, we're bringing vets onto our team, we're working with them. And, you know, they, they have some experiences and some backgrounds that are just hard for us. A lot of us uh, who are here used to living in the, you know, the United States in this first right. world country. You know, sometimes to connect with him. What advice uh, would you give to folks out there who are working next to a veteran, that, or there, you know, there's a veteran that's reporting to them that's part yeah, of their team. Yeah. You know, how, you know, what are some things that we can do to really? I mean, these are folks that are have served our country. They've made some huge sacrifices, and now they're transitioning into a new season of their life. But 
man, everything is woven together so that everything that they've experienced is, is completely core to, you know, who they are, how they experience things, how they react to situations. And uh, personally, I think it's a huge opportunity for us to, you know, to to serve our veterans and opportunity for us to give back in a really meaningful way. It is. And we, we were having a bit of that conversation before this, actually. And, and, and I love it because so let me ask you, answer your question as best I can, first of all, from my own personal experience. Um, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about vets. And I, I don't blame anybody out there. It's simply that, you know, Hollywood and the media doesn't do really any justice. Um, there are some decent uh, movies out there, I think, that, that kind of portray it in a sense. But you always have to understand that Hollywood is always going to make it more sexy than it really is. <laughs> it's really combat is it's dirty and it's rough. Um, so there's a lot of misconceptions out there about veterans. And here's, here's the one that I run into all the time. And I ran into it several times is that 90% of veterans that even have been in a combat zone have never seen much of anything except for maybe an office. Um, so when you see a resume or you have somebody in your organization that is a veteran, that doesn't mean they've ever even shot a rifle in anger at anybody for any reason, or that they even came in close contact with, you know, death itself. That's not to take away from them because they obviously served our country in a zone that was dangerous. It's more dangerous than going to work anywhere in the United States for that matter. But it doesn't mean that they had seen traumatic things or they kicked doors and they, you know, blew doors and shot their guns and all this other stuff. That's, that's Hollywood. Um, so, you know, a majority of our vets, 90% of them are very technical in their abilities and their skill sets. Um, so, you know, my, my advice is don't ever make an assumption just because a, a man or a woman in your organization had served in the military that they had seen, you know, crazy stuff. Because it's more than likely not true. And just don't – the thing vets hate is don't treat me any different. I don't want your charity, man. I don't. I really don't. There are veterans out there to do that. Don't get me wrong. And I'm sure you've ran into them too, John. And it, it sickens me to no end um, because that happens – um, but for the most part, the good vets, the ones that, you know, are worth their weight, don't want charity. You know, I want an opportunity. And so, you know, and I'm, trust me, most veterans are competitive. We are uber competitive. So watch out, you give us an opportunity and we're going to do everything we can to shine and reach the next level. Cause that's kind of our culture, you know? We always do self-improvement. We're always looking for ways to help ourselves. Uh, you know, the old adage, man, I always, I'm always going to try to improve my foxhole. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm, right? Even when I'm not doing anything, right? That's that kind of that culture thing, improving my foxhole. So, you know, don't make assumptions uh, about the vet. And please don't, you know, it's okay to say, you know, thank you for your service. But don't, you know, don't try to coddle them because it, that just turns us off instantly, you know, challenge me, 
that's what I really want. Oh, yeah? Give me a challenge because that's where I want to show you and demonstrate to you my worth. So. Well, thank you for saying And uh, so they, they're, they're coming back. They just they want to. And so you talked about, you know, making assumptions. Is it okay to, uh, you know, maybe ask questions about their service or, you know, what do you think, you know, really helps, you know, somebody transitioning from the, the world of the military into the business world from that, you know, that culture they're rolling into? Yeah, that's a huge one, right? I mean, that culture is so different. So I think it's okay to ask them about their service, you know, and, but if, if they don't want to talk about it, then, you know, it's, it's no big deal. I wouldn't get, you know, well, he's trying to, you know, he doesn't really want to talk to me or he's kind of offish, you know, he doesn't, or she doesn't, you know, um, but trans getting, getting into the corporate culture is interesting. So I think it's more to be able to understand I mean, I would have loved it for some of the organizations I worked with to be able to have the manager or the owner come to me and say, hey, man, so in the military, you know, how did you do this? Or, you know, how did you guys operate in this manner? Or, you know, what is it that you guys did to make, you know, how to plan things? Or how did you execute, you know, uh, maybe a task that you were given? Or how do you organize? Um, how do you put people together so that they can work together, you know? Um, how do you go about giving people responsibilities and managing that? You know, simple things like that. But I don't know if people, some people don't, I don't even think, really even understand how to even go about asking those type of questions. Um, but it would be good because if you think about it, if you understand how that person's mindset works for organizing things or giving tasks out or in, in operating, then you might get a little nugget to be able to say, oh, well, that might work for us or it might not work for us. Or, hey, that's a good idea. Maybe we can try to integrate that into our system and then just work with them because they're the SME on it, you know? Um, yeah. And, and when Chris says SME, I mean, he means subject oh. matter expert. <laughs> I'm going to translate. Right. I might have to translate a few of your acronyms. That's okay. Yeah. I got that military right. background too, but you know what? You're bringing up such a great point. You know, uh, I mean, just think about the guys that 10% that are, that are downrange. And, and I, and this is also part of the military culture. You and I were talking about this before we, we hit record, but when you guys are downrange, right, you got, you know, a team of what, 24, 28 year old, 30 year olds who, you know, they, they can't jump on a conference call to make a decision, right? They're, right. they're switching between right. a mission of peacekeeping, humanitarian, you know, uh, you know, kinetic action and the roles change based on the circumstances and the circumstances can change, you know, minute to minute or even faster. And so their ability to plan, execute, think, organize, uh, harness their teaching, their training, um, you know, their trust with their teammates is is phenomenal. And asking some questions and tapping into that versus just giving somebody a job and saying, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And, you know, have it done by noon tomorrow. <laughs> they, they, right. Right. They're going to get it done because you know what? That, that's the military mindset, man. We, we give me a job. I'm going to run through a wall to get it done for you. But <laughs> right. there's tremendous innovation, creativity, um, you know, that exists in people that have come out of, you know, military training. 
Yeah, and you know, I think that's the key that organizations can really leverage uh, and and really help them create that, you know, that one plus one equals three type scenario. And you're right, it, you know, it, those misconceptions about well, the soldier shows up on time, you know, he's in the right uniform and he'll do what he's told. Well, you know, we're, that might have been, you know, fifty, sixty, maybe even a hundred years ago. Yeah, that's kind of an old school thought, although people kind of think that that's that the military is this big top down command control. But that is not how an operational unit actually works, is it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like we were talking earlier, you know, I mean, there, you have to be able to decentralize in in the environment that we operate in today. It is, like you said, so fast paced that there's no way that it can be controlled by one entity. You have to have trust in your people to act but you also have to give them you know the vision and the ability to know what what right looks like but what is the end state where where are we going with this thing and you have to be able to train them and give them the tools to be able to execute with without even ever seeing them i mean you might get you know for us sometimes we when we first got downrange i mean it was a message one a day that was it and it was a text it was a written up, you know, we called it, call it cacking it up, but it's basically a, a, like an email, long email with, you know, what we did last 24, what we're going to do in the next 24 and maybe some logistical stuff, but we didn't have the bandwidth at the time to, you know, do a video chat or any of that stuff. It was, you know, I got one page, I've got 200 words I can put on this page and I've got to get out exactly what my commander needs to know and what I'm going to be doing tomorrow and what I need for that mission maybe tomorrow or in a week in advance. And that's it. That's my all you might get. You know, until something goes down and then you got to grab the radio in a moment of need and just start telling the commander, hey, this is what's going down right this very instant. And if you don't support us, then, you know, we're all going to be, we might not be around for very much longer. You know, we're getting attacked. And so, you know, can you imagine that in a CEO setting? Okay, I get a message from my division once a day, and it's only 250 words. And then when, you know, catastrophe is happening, I get a phone call from them. But that's the only time they really call me because we don't have the bandwidth to have him call me any other time. I'll send him a message and maybe ask him some questions once a day. But other than that, he's got to be able to operate on his own until, you know, the machinery is like, you know, coming to a halt or, you know, production is going to run into each other or, you know, they don't have whatever they need to operate for the next 24 hours and I can't get product out or whatever. That's when they'll call me and it's like emergency status, you know, <laughs> and then you've, you know, the CEO has got to make a, a decision on how he's going to handle that, that issue right then and there. But, you know, you don't usually have uh, the ability to forecast any of those things, you know, in, in combat, obviously. You know. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you talk about the word trust, and when we're thinking about that word trust, right, in a military unit, uh, I mean, it's just the culture, right? We, I mean, you show up every day just implicitly trusting everybody around you. And in a corporate culture, uh, when we have trust, and in, in, uh, the Covey Institute just came out with a, a great study on this. I'm remembering some of the the stats, but people that self-report a trusting culture, 
are like 104% more productive, like 60% more engaged, uh, uh, you know, way less turnover, way less sick days, way more productive. I mean, all these, there's so many, you know, some of these uh, kind of the human part of leadership leads to so many incredible, you know, tangible, concrete outcomes. And so when you're working with organizations, which you do now, you know, what are some things that we can do to really develop trust in an organization? And that could be in my marriage, with my relationship with oh, my kids, yeah. right? Uh, my organization, you know, we define an organization as two or more people that are, you know, working together with a common purpose. So this could be from IBM um, to, you know, my family to a ministry that I'm, you know, working in. But uh, love, I would love your thoughts on how you help teams develop that. You know, it, it comes down to, and I've seen it so many times where communications is broken. Mm, totally agree. You know, right? Yeah. It's it, and, and, every, and I don't communicate because I don't trust you in a lot of times. <laughs> right. Or right. if That's, or if yeah. you and I have had a problem, I don't trust that I can go up to you and say, "Hey, Chris, can I share something with you? This right. is really bothering me." We keep it to ourselves because a lot of people are way more concerned about maybe how the other person might feel about them. Yes. Than actually concerned about the person and actually uh, giving them maybe some input or feedback that could really help them in the organization. And sometimes we want to have enough trust there. If I give you some feedback and you tell me, you know what, John, I think you have this all wrong, but you know, we need to keep talking right. about this. It could be totally be me and my lens, my filter that's actually causing the problem and not you. But when the yes. communication doesn't exist, all those issues just sit there and just eat at the the enjoyment, the productivity, the you know the outcomes that a, that a that a team has. Right, and that good kind of goes back to that culture too with with vet. I mean, we're thick skin. You know that, John. It's like you. I expect you to tell me where I'm making a mistake, and you need to tell me that right. The instant that it's happening, because I cannot get better if you do not tell me, because I think I'm doing it right. And if you can't communicate to me directly in a, in a manner that tells me, you know, hey, look, this is what you need to do to correct yourself, you know, um, then I can't get better. I can't help you. And, and you're right. It's that fear, I think, that most organizations have. Well, you know, I don't want to upset this guy or, you know, he's kind of this or he's kind of, no, look. At least if you go talk to that individual in a very respectful, professional manner, then there's no reason why you guys can't get to the bottom of an issue. And what I think part of the problem is, and Dr. Carter would be great for this, is that organizations get into the silos. I mean, even even we did at SOCOM, you know. Oh, we're better than those guys, blah, 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 blah. McChrystal book talks about that a lot too. Team of teams, I think. Yeah, great book. Um, SOCOM and Southern, yeah. what is it? Special Operations Command? It's command. Right? Yep. Right, exactly. So, you know, but communications is is absolutely key. And even in an organization, it's, it's not beyond the military to do it, but it's also very prevalent in corporate America where the finance guys have their own culture and they don't want to really talk to, you know, the engineering group. That's or the developing. guys in operations or sales that are making <laughs> the commitments that right, they exactly. know that they're are going to totally stress out their operations group. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I, you know, I got it. It, it is a uh, 
there's so many things that can be said that are miscommunicated to a certain specific group uh, that that can have catastrophic effects. I mean, look at us on an ODA. So we all have languages and we go down range. I was a French speaker, which was relatively easy. And we had a guy that spoke Arabic, very, very smart guy. He was one of our medics. Um, but when we got on the ground uh, in Afghanistan, we linked up with one of the three letter agencies there um, right after 9-11. And I remember my team started looking at James. He was our, our Arabic speaker. And they said, hey, James. He's like, hey, James, what are these guys saying? You know, we've got all these locals around us. You know, we're trying to figure things out. We've got to set up this training program for these guys and yada 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 but the first thing was we got to communicate with them i mean how can we even do how can we even go forward if we don't know how to speak to them so james he, he knew arabic i mean he was like a 3-3 speaker which is i guess to those that don't know that i mean that's like fluent being able to read and write it and be able to speak it fluently um like a native would and those guys were speaking pashtun and, and james looked at james hard as like Sarge, I, I don't know what they're saying. They're talking a different dialect of Arabic, which I do not know. And we were like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? <laughs> we were like, uh-oh. Now we have to, you know, now we've even got to overcome that language barrier, which we thought we had an ace in a hole. And now we've got to start from the very basics and sometimes I think organizations have to do that because the finance guys, they've got their own culture, but they've also got their own dialect of language of how they speak. So, you know, like you're saying, the sales team kind of understands that, but there's probably words in there that are just going to you know, fly past each other and they're just going to, they're not really going to connect, you know, and sometimes it takes more than one conversation. You can't, you can't just trust that you sent out an email and, oh, you know, it resonated. That's not true. You know, I used to tell my Intel guys, no, you get on the phone and you call the team. You talk to the other guy. Don't send him an email and think he got it. You know, that that leaves out so many different things that you're not going to catch if you just talk to him. I said, what's the, what's the problem with just calling the team and talk to him, you know? And so you you got to really just. You have to communicate, and you've got to communicate in various different ways, and you got to be patient with each other, and really get over those assumptions. Yeah, and what, what have you found? You know, some things that help people to start communicating. I know, I, you know, a lot of cultures they're right; they're in these silos, and I got to communicate, you know, across these silos, and actually. You know, part of trust, right, is foundational to mm -hmm. building relationships. So I have to build relationships. I have to understand what each group's, you know, where they fit into the vision and the mission and what my, yeah. how my actions, you know, uh, you know, what that means to them and vice versa. Uh, a lot of times those conversations, they're not happening and that, that creates a real bottleneck to an organization. Oh, man, isn't that the truth? Well, and, you know, like you said, John, I think it's a lot of it has to do with everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. And that takes that very defined vision, uh, a statement. And man, I, I've read some vision statements that are like a paragraph long and it's, and I'm like, okay, does anybody know what it is? And <laughs> they don't, how can they? 
Oh, you, you read no whole page of gobbledygook that means nothing. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be, be we're, you know, most of them are to be the best. Okay, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Is that really a vision statement? Does that make sense? To be the best of what? And what? how do you define the best? Well, you, you know, make, you're bringing you up know? a good point because I think you know, one of the, <laughs> the, the number one responsibilities and purposes of leadership, and we cannot do it enough, is to be casting vision. And yes. talking about it, like, 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 uh, just uh, th- this example just pops into my mind. I was actually working with a team with the military, and they had just been run through the ringer, putting together a last-minute uh, uh, contract to buy all these random medical supplies, and it was a huge inconvenience for them, and they were, and they were actually pretty annoyed by it. Uh, because it was affecting the other work that they were doing. Yes, well, one yes. Of, one of the other people in this, we were working with a leadership team, and somebody had been invited in from the other side of the, this base, and they were saying, do you guys know what that was for? They're like, nope. And they're like, do you know that we're oh. actually trying to, we, we have these uh, specially outfitted aircraft, uh, C-17s, where we have a doctor, uh, uh, an ER qualified nurse, and a respiratory therapist, and they fly our most critically wounded uh, soldiers out of Iraq and Afghanistan. And they work with, uh, you know, four patients. This team of three will work with four patients. And there was this new technique, this new procedure that was going to save more lives. And uh, so imagine the stress wow. of basically being on an airplane for nine hours. You can't phone a friend. Every single person that you're responsible for, your, your cadre of four patients are all critical condition. And what it was, was there was an airplane that had some scheduled maintenance. It was going to be down for a week. And if they ordered all these supplies, they could actually train a whole bunch of these medical teams on this new procedure so they could use it in the field. And as soon as this team that was actually working on all this heard that, man, they were so excited that they'd actually been part of that. And so taking some of the time just to let people know why, how it's, you know, why it's important to the organization, to the extent that we can, why it's important to them personally, you know, how this might help them in things outside the world so people can connect the dots. And, you know, you know, we hear a lot about millennials. They want to be doing important work, but taking that extra time to explain to people to cast that vision as often as we can, I think is critically important because that also starts to create some alignment on some of these conversations that we have. You know, why is this important? You know, what is my role? I'm frustrated. Okay, let's let's talk about that. But um, you know, that is one thing that can be a huge constraint in organizations that we see is just the, the lack of understanding the vision. Because, like you said, if it's a piece of paper that I read, and I'm like, what the heck does that mean? If I had <laughs> if I had right. 20 people read it and say and go and then just write down what do you think that means to you and to your team, you'd have <laughs> right. 20 you'd have complete 20 complete different answers, and that's not a team that's high performing. I tell you that right now. Right, exactly, because they're not on the same sheet of music, literally. And and everybody has to look at it and make their own assessment of what's important to it. And that's just a recipe for disaster because it might not even be related to the, what the vision, what the end state is that they're trying to get to because it's interpreted in, in a different light from different silos. And then you just got minutia, man. I mean, it's horrible, <laughs> you know? Right. (laughs) You know, and you're like, what's wrong? And it's like, well, you didn't communicate very well what 
was important to people and like you're saying why you know why was it important you know i've i've talked a lot about that from um uh simon sinek starting with why great book yeah by the way and uh it's so true you know i mean really you know well, why are we doing this and you ask people that and they're like uh you know they just kind of look at you like uh we didn't think about this like no really it's a question well, we need to do this and X, Y, Z, and they get down into the weeds and the tacticalness of it and this and that. And it's like, well, why? You know, and they're just like, huh? <laughs> just that simple question throws them off so bad. It's just like, oh, boy, here we go. Well, this has been awesome. How do people connect with you, find out more about, you know, what you're doing right now, uh, Chris? Yeah, so you can go to our website. Um, we've got uh, solidredconcepts.com. Um, we post on that regularly. Uh, but we're also on Facebook, same place, solidredconcepts.com, or solidredconcepts is our Facebook. And then we, we have a Twitter also under that same name. And then LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Um, I think that's how we got to meet you, actually. Yeah. I think was it, it was on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, we're on there. Um, we're getting ready to put out a blog uh, about um, uh, education and, and um, how to uh, make yourself smart without really having to go to uh, a traditional type uh, school. Um, save yourself some money. Anyways, uh, we, <laughs> we, we blog regularly. I love I loved poking my professors about that. But even, even Dr. Carter's like, no, you're right. You should write that. So. Well, you guys have some incredible blogs in the blog post. And also, I've asked uh, Chris to come back. He wrote a book that's phenomenal. It's called Intrepid Professionals, How Principles from the Military Mindset Build Extraordinary Extraordinary Leaders, Teams, and Business. So Chris is going to be coming back on with his co-author, Dr. Brent Carter, who you've heard Chris mention a few times. So you know, be looking for that one uh, early next year when we bring you guys back on and talk about some of the concepts in the book, because we've just touched on some of these things about culture, trust, you know, relationships, communication that we really need to, you know, we all need to get better at, spend some more time in. So, you know, just kind of, you know, as we wrap up, Chris, what are just some final thoughts as people have been just listening to this whole conversation you'd like to leave with them? You know, there's, uh, Proverbs is great to read. I love reading Proverbs. Maybe it's just because I've got, you know, I'm very uh, ADHD or whatever you want to call it. Um, But, you know, seek good counsel because we're fools if we don't. And if we think we know everything, you're just, you're getting ready for a fall. And um, that doesn't have to be through, you know, it can be, you know, a father, a mother, a you know, a pastor, a friend, um, somebody in business, whoever it is, but seek good counsel. That's all I got to say. <laughs> that is a, that's my number one deal right there. Seek good counsel. Well, that's always served me well in the times that I have not sought good counsel. Well, those have been some of my most significant learning right. points. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get humbled very quickly. You're like, oh, well. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for just what you're doing, bringing you know your life out into the world to just serve and equip even more leaders to do things uh, you know better than they have been, connected to 
you know, a purpose, a cause, uh, you know, a vision that's actually going to do more than just, you know, m- you know, make some money. It's, you know, it's so much more than right. the profit motive, which is fine, but you know, that, that has to be connected to, to something bigger, in my opinion. Right. Absolutely. All right, my friend, you're awesome. Keep being awesome. Thank you. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. Just earlier this year, Vicki told me while she was praying, she heard from me, to water the seeds. I knew exactly what it meant and got some business out of it. Another time she was praying and accurately described one of our dogs who turned out needed medical attention. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.